Thank you, team. Take your Bible and let's go to Acts chapter 23 and verse number 1 and then turn one page to Acts 24 and verse 16 and we'll share together the word of our God just there. But before that we uh, come to the text for today, on Thursday night of uh, this week we had a presbytery during our deacons fellowship for uh, Josh Dickens and he has been called uh, to be the pastor of First Baptist Church in Hope Springs, North Carolina. Uh, that church has requested ordination and we went through that uh, questioning time uh, with him and our deacons that night and so we come to lay hands on him and pray for him uh, this morning and so Josh I'm going to ask you and your sweet wife Jess to come and you kneel here and she'll stand by you and we've got three or four men that are going to come right now lay hands on them and then uh, Brian is going to uh, pray in this service uh, over them so uh, if you just kneel there our men will lay hands on you and we've asked Brian Knoll to lead this prayer in this second service as we set aside our brother for gospel ministry. Dr. Knoll, you pray. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you that you call men biblically qualified, Lord, to grow and to encourage and to train and equip your bride, Lord, for the kingdom task. Lord, I thank you for Josh, how he has faithfully heeded your call upon his life. Yes. Lord, to study, to grow, or to look more like you every single day. And Lord, as we come and we set him aside, Lord, I pray your hand of favor, Lord, to be upon him. Lord, as he holds up your word and preaching, Lord, make courage, Lord, go before him, fill his heart. Give him boldness as he pastors and makes decisions. Lord, I pray that as he comes together, him and Jess lead, serve. Lord, would you protect their marriage? Yes. Lord, would you stand guard outside their hearts and minds by the power of Christ Jesus? Lord, I pray that every seed that is cast, Lord, upon the soil of the ground of the kingdom, Lord, I pray that you would bring it to, to a great harvest. Lord, may it sweep from North Carolina on south. It don't matter, Lord. We just ask, would you use this, dear brother, Lord, to expand your name for your glory or for every task that he puts them to. So, Lord, bless them. We thank you. And we look to you, the author, perfecter of our faith. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, we're praying for this uh, young couple as they go forward and pastor this church and see what God might do uh, in days to come. Josh, how many folks did you preach to last Sunday or Sunday before last when you were there? 28. 28 folks. I had 40 the first Sunday in my first church. and So uh, God will send you out, but uh, I didn't have a wife with me the first time. So I was a single guy, but so you got a lot of help. So that's good. And uh, after the service, I've asked that they might be out uh, in the foyer. You go by and let them know that you love them, praying for them, and uh, we'll send you out uh, with God's goodness and grace. Amen. God bless you both. Let them know that you love them. Amen and amen. Yeah, praise the Lord. What a good, good day uh, this is uh, for them, for us. Next Sunday, I got another young preacher. We're going to license 
uh, to gospel ministry next Sunday, and uh, we're grateful for that. Our deacon's been doing that, had others just recently have said, Pastor, God's called us to ministry. All of a sudden, we've had uh, these young men coming forward, grateful to God uh, for that that the Lord's entrusting us with. Well, I'm preaching on a topic I've never ever spoken to before except at 9.30 this morning. First time I've ever dealt with this particular topic in a full message uh, in the text. So in Acts 23 verse 1, Paul is coming before the Sanhedrin and there are the Sadducees and the Pharisees as they come together, the 70 of them. And the Bible says in Acts 23, 1, Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience. That's our word, before God, up to this day. Now, I want you to point out something in this text. The word council and the word conscience, only one letter different in those two words. They are rooted in the same backdrop of the word to give counsel or conscience to uh, our conscience, a good conscience. Then in chapter 24, we, we look over and see verse 16, and the Bible says, in view of this, Paul said, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience both before God and men. The conscience, the conscience. Never really dove into this word in Scripture before. Paul uses it 21 times in his writing. It's found 20 four times in all of the Word of God, only one of those in the Old Testament, and we'll allude to that in just a moment. The word conscience, an interesting word, two words put together. Uh, the first half of the word is with, con is with, and then science to know or knowledge, co-knowledge, to know with is the conscience. Now, all people, old and young, male and female, all people have a conscience. Yes. And then we're told from the time we can remember, people say this, let your conscience be your guide. No. Uh-uh. That's not your guide. Don't you let your conscience be your guide. You'll get in a mess if you let your conscience be your guide. We all have a conscience. Dr. Jerry Vines, I was reading uh, part of a message that he had preached on the dying conscience, and he said, we all have a conscience. We just don't know what it is, where it is. We don't know how to put our arms around it, but we know it's there, and the Bible speaks to it. You see, the conscience is not a guide but rather it is a goad or a governor, if you will. Conscience does not set the standard. It only applies the standard. 
Your conscience is a window that lets light in to your life. And your conscience then will sometimes bother you or sometimes it will confirm for you. Sometimes it will irritate you. As I said, it is more a goad than it is a guide that it'll prick and say, "Uh uh-uh, you need to look into that. And the conscience is there. We find it one time in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 5. You remember when David had Saul in the cave (laughs) and he's some of them told you you could kill him. He's no, uh-uh, but he just cut off a little piece of his garment, of the hem of his garment. But the Bible says it came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. Why did it bother? Because the Bible says you're not to touch God's anointed, and he did touch God's anointed. And therefore his conscience bothered him. Now most often when you find the word conscience in Scripture, there is a modifier in front of it. Not every time, but most of the time. And something tells us what kind of conscience you have. Let's look at four of those that are on the negative side, and then I want us to look at the good conscience for a few minutes this morning, give a gospel invitation for you to come unto Christ. What kind of conscience do you have? Well, the Bible says you could have a weak conscience in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 7. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to the idol until now eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Sometimes your conscience does not help you. It's, it's weak in, in your life. Secondly, in Titus 1, in Verse 15, the Bible has a modifier that says you can have a defiled, a defiled conscience. Paul said uh, to Titus in chapter 1, verse 15, to the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. That word defiled in this text is where the root word die comes from die, not D-I-E, but D-Y-E, that you would die something like you would die at purple or die at green. It was dying it of a color. Uh, here, when your conscience is defiled, it is colored by the world or by false thought process. You can have a weak conscience. You can have a defiled conscience that has been miscolored and does not give the right hue toward truth. Or thirdly, Hebrews 10 in verse 22 says you could have an evil, an evil conscience. Let us draw near with a sincere sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from what? An evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure Water. Sometimes the conscience is evil. There is an evil spirit within our nation at this very moment. I told our staff, you can ask them, as we entered the month of June, I said, you're going to see evil attack our nation like you've not seen it ever in your life. And I think I've been proven right. 
We're only halfway through this month and it's still coming like a rampage. Saw it even at Dodger Stadium this week. People uh, with evidently no conscience that you would walk all but naked in the culture. Uh, There is an evil conscience that would not say that that is right is right, but rather right is wrong, and that that is wrong is really what's right. You see, there's an evil conscience in our culture, and you dare not have one of those. But not only do we find the Bible speaking of a weak and a defiled or an evil conscience, but the very worst one would be what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2, and that is when you have a seared conscience. A seared conscience. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, but the Spirit explicitly says in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, uh, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. This word seared is a medical term that means to cauterize. Uh, it speaks of a desensitization in our life. It's, it's like you take a piece of wax paper, uh, put it on the ironing board, take the iron, plug it in, turn it on, it's hot, and you sit that iron on that wax paper and that wax paper just dissolves. It's gone. It's seared and does not exist. Some people's conscience has been so cauterized, desensitized, that it's almost they don't have a conscience. It's seared and it does not feel. Uh, Nothing to the touch, nothing reaches into their soul. You are in a bad way if your conscience is so seared that you cannot understand right from wrong. Somebody came in this morning, they were even telling me about their uh, little girl they brought to church last Sunday from out of town, visited with them and told them, said, now when you come in, you can sing and enjoy, but now when it gets time, about halfway through, you'll have to be quiet. And so she listened to me for about five minutes and said the little girl turned over to her daddy and said, why does he get to talk? (laughs) Well, amen. That's a good question some days. She felt like she'd been done wrong. Somebody ought to get to talk and ought to be her. Well, there are people that uh, they, they feel nothing. They're just seared. But you want to have a good conscience, clean, blameless. So how does that occur? Well, I want us to look at it from the Word of God this morning at these texts uh, dealing with the conscience. I want to share four truths with us this morning about a good conscience. That's what Paul had here in Paul 20, in Acts 23, that he looked intently at the Counsel, he said, I've lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this very day. That's the kind of conscience you want to have is a good conscience. Number one, a good conscience finds truth 
in Scripture. It finds truth in Scripture. Hear the Word of God in Romans 2, verses 14 and 15. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law unto themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. It's the Word of God placed within our heart. That is where you find truth for your conscience. How do you have a good conscience? It's not because you live by according to how you feel or think or somebody else. What does the Word of God say? The Bible is the rudder in our life. It causes us to go right or left or straight ahead according to how the Word of God turns it. And we are to find truth in the Word of God. Come to the Bible and find truth for a good conscience. Secondly, a good conscience not only finds truth in Scripture, but a good conscience finds strength in the Holy Spirit. Here, Romans chapter 9 and verse number 1, where the Bible says in Romans 9 and verse 1, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. Friend, to find strength for what God would have you do regarding your conscience, that is found, the strength is in the Spirit of the living God. You won't have strength in yourself. You're not man or woman enough. You you do not have the power to do, but all the strength of God within us. When the Holy Spirit will give us the strength to do that, that our conscience is leading us to do. You got a good conscience today? I, I preached this sermon in the first service. It ain't got like a tomb in here. I'm not going to get nobody to grunt, look, say amen. It was like everybody thought I was about to come out there and ask them a question. And I might, but you know, just relax. You'll be okay. Everything's fine, but this is a topic like nothing else because we all deal with it, amen? We've all got a conscience, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Sometimes our conscience deals with us in this way, sometimes the other way, and, and we know that there are things we need to deal with in our life. Friend, a good conscience, if you're going to have a good conscience, you'll have to have strength in your life, and that strength will only come through the blessed Holy Spirit. Thirdly, A good conscience finds its defense in Christ and Christ alone. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make an apologia, an apologetic, a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. What is your defense? Christ is your defender. Is he Lord of all in your life? You're to sanctify him as Lord. Hallelujah. Make him Lord. Crown him king in your life. I was watching golf last night. 
They're playing the U.S. Open way out on the West Coast. They play till after 10 o'clock. It'll be on again tonight. It'll be past my bedtime before they get out. I noticed there was somebody came over to the house, and uh, last night we were watching a little bit of it together, and a guy had on a cap. I'd never seen this particular cap. I didn't think, and I asked him about that. And, and it, was, it had a crown. I didn't realize it was a new kind of logo. It had a crown on it, and I thought, hallelujah, that's my sermon tomorrow. We don't crown ourselves, Lord. We crown him, Lord. It, does he wear, who wears the crown in your life? Somebody does. Either you or the Lord wears the crown. We are to sanctify him as Lord. And when we sanctify him as Lord, he becomes the defense in our life. Christ guards our conscience. And we walk in truth, blameless and pure and holy, not in evil and wicked but he is Lord of all. You see, anytime we deal with conscience, conscience will begin to say, well, you should do this or not do that. If you got awed against somebody, you got to do this. You got to deal with that. Where do you find the strength for the Holy Spirit? How do I know if I'm going to be taken right? Well, the only way is let Christ be Christ. He will take care of you better than you'll take care of yourself. Walk in truth, and all will be well. Number four, a good conscience finds joy in fellowship. Look at 2 Timothy. Paul is talking to the young preacher Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul says to the young theologue, I thank God whom I serve with a what? clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. Where do you find the joy? The good conscience finds joy. It finds it in fellowship with others. Let me tell you, friends, some of you need to join Olive Baptist Church. You need to put your life right here. You need to find joy with other people. They're walking in the way you're walking. You need to walk together in agreement. Some say, no, no, I'd rather just be by myself. Let me tell you, friend, there's going to be a day when you need brothers and sisters around you. When you need the strength of the fellowship of God's people. And a good conscience finds its joy in the fellowship of God's people together. We had an oh man this morning coming to early service, an elderly man on a walker. came and said, Pastor, my, my baptism was a farce. He said, I don't have that in the right order. God's dealt with me today, and I need to be baptized. I said, well, glory to God. I don't know how we're going to get him up there, but we will. Amen. There's some wise people in this church. They'll get him there. We'll baptize him. It'll be a good day. He just said, I need to be a part of the family of God walking in fullness. Had a funeral here on Thursday for my dear, dear, dear friend, Charlie Gimble. One of the most joyous men ever I knew in my life. Forty years serving uh, our nation, and Navy, and down at the shipyard. What a great, great guy. Got saved when he's 13 years old. Baptized with his father. 
But here a few years ago, he walked down the aisle and talked to me, and then we talked. And he said, Pastor, I just need to be baptized. He said, I don't think I got it right. I said, Charlie, are you sure? It sounded like everything was good. I tried to talk him out of He had a little dementia that was beginning, and of course it came to rule his life at the end, but then he was still able to think right. He said, oh, Pastor, I, I just believe. I, I just I just need to make this right. He said, I just don't think I've got this right. And so we baptized him. I tell everybody all the time when they're struggling with that, you'd rather do it twice and get it right once than to do it once and be wrong. Oh, baptism doesn't save, but it speaks of that obedience and his conscience was bothering him. The Spirit of God was dealing with him. He needed to do this. Maybe some of you today, I don't know what it is, but something about the fellowship to come and be a part of a local family. You, you need to, to do that today, to join a fellowship, a connection group, be a part of people. It's there that a good conscience finds joy in the fellowship of God's people. Well, now we hadn't looked at that second text. We looked there in conclusion. In Acts, we were looking in chapter 23 and verse 1, but now turn the page to chapter 24 and verse 16. And Paul said, in view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience, both before God and before men. Before God and before... Let me ask you two questions today. Number one, do you have a blameless conscience before God? Are you standing right before God today? Are you right with God this very morning? Are you right with God? If you die today, do you go to heaven? Do you know Christ is your Lord and is your Savior? Is your baptism in right order? Uh, are you right with God? Anything that God's called you to do, you're not doing. Paul said, I'm a blameless conscience before God, before God. Secondly, he said then, on the horizontal, a blameless conscience before men. Is your conscience good with mankind? I've shared this years ago. I was just a teenage kid, preacher. I had a man that did my father dirty in business. It was bad. Didn't know if we were going to make it. The only time I heard my daddy ever curse outside of fishing <laughs> was toward this man. And because I saw my father be at odds with this man, I got at odds with him. And I said some things. You do my father wrong, I do, and you've done me wrong. But oh, the Spirit of God dealt with my soul. I'd drive by that little business place of that man. God'd say, You need to go in there and ask him to forgive you. I said, It'll be a. Whole day when I do that, I you know I ain't doing that. I drive back down. I mean, you, you, you know, you can't get away from it. It's what David said over in that text in Samuel. His conscience bothered him. Every time I drove by, it bothered me. I said, okay, I'll finally. I pulled in and got out of my car and started in. I opened the door and he was standing and he ran. I mean, there. 
turned and went the other way. He didn't run, but I mean, he walked quickly away from me. He don't have anything to do with me. I don't have anything to do with him. But I walked in that store building he owned, and I walked down about halfway back the aisle. I got to him, put my hand on his shoulder, and he turned around. I called him by name, and I said, sir, I, I just came by here because the Lord sent me to tell you that I'm sorry for my attitude. It's just wrong. Please forgive me. Well, he didn't know what to do with that. He just kind of has you know, jumble fumble. I don't care. That's his deal. I left him with his conscience. I just did what I heard God called me to do. I went back, got in the car, and I'm telling you, from this day, from that day to this day, I can drive by that place. He's not even alive anymore, but I drive by there every time. And I, I just get the affirmation of the Holy Spirit of God in my soul. I did the right thing. I wrote a letter to the guy the other day I had been some issues with. I just wrote and said, please forgive me. I'm sorry. I've had other things. I've been here a long time. Not as long as some of y'all, but I've been here longer than most of the people in this room. We've had a dust up or two. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. How you deal with it? Well, you make it right. You, you got to be blame, blameless before God, but then you got to be blameless on the horizontal before man. If you don't, your conscience bothers you. And you don't want to have a bothered conscience. You want to be clean and good and blameless. You're not perfect. But your conscience is not just flipping over every time because you've dealt with that issue. So this morning, here's what I want us to do. John's going to come and begin to just play softly, and we're going to stay in our seats for a moment. And I just want you to sit. And if you've got a phone, you notice the, the lightning and thunder, it's passed by. So you don't have to look at your radar anymore. <laughs> so just take your phone and turn it upside down, slide it under your leg, okay? Just slide it so you don't see it or stick it in your purse or your pocket. Don't worry about nothing, Okay? If somebody dies, they'll come get you. Okay? We're, we're good. Rachel, you back there today? Where are you? I see you. She's right there. See, my mother could, one of these days, mother's going to go to heaven. What would I do if she dies while I'm preaching? Well, Rachel and I have a deal. She's right back there, and she just stands up, and she goes like this, and I know everything's good, and, and I'll deal with that after church. Ain't nothing I can do about it anyway. I can't, my phone's, well, it's over here today. I'm just funning with you a little. Turn off that mess for a second, would you? Would, would you just turn it off for a minute? Just turn it upside down, put it in your pocket, and just lay your conscience before God and man. Just ask God if there's anything on this level or this level that you need to deal with, then just deal with it between you and the Father right now. We're just going to get quiet. Just, you can bow your head. You can get on your knees. You can stand up. You can stay with your eyes open. You'd, however you do it, you just talk to the Lord. Is there anything you need to deal with, just deal with it right now with the Father.
ladies and gentlemen, as you're praying, you don't have to even think about this because God brings it to mind immediately if there's something you've got to deal with. You don't have to guess or even make it up. God just brings it to your soul. If you're sitting with a good conscience, you're good. Hallelujah. Just bless his name right now. For something you need to deal with, then deal with it. You may be angry at God himself. This Father's Day, your daddy may be dead and you're still mad at him. Your father may be alive. You need to go to him. You may be a father and have children need to go and deal with some issues. Somebody's here today and needs a church home. I want you to come out of that balcony and take you a moment. Somebody's here and needs Christ. I want you to come. Somebody here and been saved but not baptized need to come. Like these three that were baptized early part of the service. You come, take me by the hand. Say, Pastor, I'm ready to do business with the Lord. Maybe you've got something you need to lay on the altar today. The conscience not bothering you, but it's just a burden. You just come, lay that before the Lord. When we stand to sing in a moment, we're going to sing, Lord, have your way. Have your own way. Lord, have thine own way. We're going to sing a line in a minute that says, Hold o'er my being, absolute sway. Lord, don't let me move lest you push me. And let God have his way in your life. Father, do your work in this invitation time. Have your way in my heart and every heart in this room. And we'll praise you for it. Lord, I pray you'd rebuke the old wicked one right now. Don't let him have any part in this room. Set him out of here. And have your way that we'd walk with a good conscience. In Jesus' name.